Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN AM for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. And our top story today, hearing loss, what you need to know about cochlear implants. Joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Donna Sorkin is the Executive Director for the American Cochlear Implant Alliance. Donna, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, let, let's talk Let's talk basics here. What is a cochlear implant? Um, a cochlear implant is uh, an electronic device that is designed for people whose hearing loss um, has either progressed or in the case of a child um, born with um, a hearing loss that is so severe uh, that it's not helped sufficiently by hearing aids. And I say sufficiently because sometimes people do benefit somewhat from hearing aids, um, but not enough. And that's um, that's at the point when hearing aids no longer work. And for most people with hearing loss, hearing aids are absolutely helpful and allow them to stay connected with, with life. Um, but a cochlear implant bypasses the damaged parts of the ear and sends an electronic signal that is um, passed uh, between the device on the outside, which is like a small computer, to a receiver that's been placed inside the cochlea of the ear by a surgeon, a specially trained ENT surgeon. Um, and that signal is picked up and in time, um, the brain learns to interpret that as meaningful sound. Um, so it's a it's something that we learn to use over time. Most people are not perfectly adept with it in the first weeks after they're activated, but over time, um, they become um, very adept at using that signal. So yeah. that's essentially what it is. And it, it has an internal component that's put in during the surgery uh, and the external component, which is where the little computer is. And it's worn um, on the ear or sometimes on the head. There's different versions of it. Um, and that amazingly, um, it, it takes those parts of speech that you hear um, pitch and um, volume and rhythm and all the components of speech and all sounds, and then changes that into a series of electrical electronic impulses. So that's what it is in a nutshell. It's an amazing device. It's the first time that science has been able to replace a sense that we lost. You know, so if you if you go blind or you're born blind, we can't restore sight really. I mean, we're starting to starting to get there. Um, taste can't replace um, taste. Um, and so it it is an, an amazing um, device that lets the deaf hear. Yeah, and in terms of this is this device can be used by anyone of any age. So you were in your initial comments, you were talking about children, but it could be young children all the way up through someone like my age in their fifties and beyond. 
Absolutely. Um, it's um, a device that we use across the continuum of age. Um, we now uh, test children for hearing loss when they're born. It's called newborn hearing screening. And in the United States, we're, we're testing 95% of children at birth. And so well, we are able to identify a, a child who's born deaf uh, or, or any level of hearing loss at birth. So right now, the FDA guideline is, is uh, nine months for cochlear implants. So children can get uh, a cochlear implant at nine months. And, and in some cases, um, some clinics are providing it earlier even than that, depending on the child and the need, et cetera. Um, and then sometimes the hearing loss in a child progresses or happens later. So a child can receive this at any age, um, teen years, 20s, 30s, your age. Um, and actually, um, recently we worked with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid services to expand uh, candidacy criteria for older adults under Medicare. Um, so now the criteria are very similar, whether somebody is covered by Medicare or covered by private insurance. And we've implanted people that are 95 and up. So it's really a matter for an older person if they have any other health issues and if they can benefit it. And it, it does involve um, a fairly careful candidacy criteria to ensure that the individual will benefit more from a cochlear implant than he or she is um, benefiting from hearing aids. Yeah, and, and last question before we go to a commercial break. Um, what's the process to, you talked about screening. You also mentioned an ear, nose, and throat doctor or an otolaryngologist. How do, how do you go through the process to determine whether or not you are a candidate um, for cochlear implants? That's a really good question. Um, and people often get stymied because they don't know how to start the process. Um, and the people that are involved in cochlear implantation are specially trained. And there are what's called cochlear implant clinics. And um, hopefully what happens is um, someone who is wearing hearing aids, uh, let's just take the example of an adult, and he or she is, is wearing two well-fit hearing aids and still having great difficulty understanding speech, not being able to really use the phone, um, having difficulty in meetings, um, needing to always have the captions on on TV, uh, turning the sound up on TV. That's what family members often notice. Um, so even though they're wearing well-fit hearing aids, they're, they're still having difficulty. Um, so in that case, what we hope happens is their uh, hearing care professional um, makes a referral for them to be evaluated at a cochlear implant center. And that process involves um, uh, speech testing in a sound booth wearing well-fit hearing aids. So we test somebody with their amplification on because we want to see how well they're doing. And then it also involves, and, it, and that's done by an audiologist who has special training. Um, and then there's also a medical component of it. So they're also evaluated by um, an ENT surgeon who has special training in cochlear implantation. 
Um, and so those two pieces of information are very important. Sometimes, depending on the individual, they'll want someone to also be evaluated uh, by a psychologist or someone who um, can evaluate whether the person has realistic expectations and will be able to follow through appropriately. And that process is similar, whether it, regardless of age. You know, if it's a, it's a baby, they go through that same process of being tested. The evaluation by the audiologist is a bit different because you can't say words to a baby and have them repeat those. But there's other ways of testing a small child um, to ensure that they're an appropriate candidate audiologically um, and medically. And so that that's the way the process works. And it has expanded tremendously in the years since I received a cochlear implant, which was 30 years ago. And there were, at that time, relatively few centers that offered this. Um, but now um, we have many, many centers around the United States. Um, someone could come on our website and we have a, a map, a click, clickable map, and you can click on your state um, and then see where there's a CI center that's closest um, to you. And so, wow, none of that was available when I was going through the process. Just think there was no internet um, difficulty of finding out information about where to go. I was lucky to have a, a great support network that helped me uh, through the process. But now with the internet, people can really find that information out themselves. Um, and if, if I may encourage people to look at our website, which is www.acialliance.org, and then you could see more details than I've given and also look at that map to see where somebody could go to pursue an evaluation. Yeah, well, Donna, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about more about cochlear implants. You're gonna to wanna to stay tuned right here on BRN. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network.
Welcome back. We're joined this morning by Donna Sorkin of the American Cochlear Implant Alliance. Donna, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you and let's talk some more. Yeah, this is a real fun conversation. Uh, you, you mentioned in the previous segment, we talked about the process, but I want to ask you about insurance. You talked about Medicare and private insurance. Is it in your experience and the Alliance's experience that these insurance programs would support something like a cochlear implant for adults or children? Yes, indeed. Um, about 90% of private insurance policies um, cover cochlear implantation. Um, and when someone goes through that process, um, the large insurers are all aware of it. Sometimes you, you might have a smaller one and they think that it's a hearing aid and they might not cover hearing aids. And in fact, um, sometimes that's um, a point that stops people from going forward because their hearing care provider might think they're not covered because hearing aids aren't often not covered, mostly not covered. Um, and so they they have that misconception about insurance, um, but it is covered um, generally by private insurance. It's covered by Medicare. It's covered by Medicaid for all children. And about half of children who receive cochlear implants are having it funded through Medicaid. Some states cover for adults under Medicaid. Um, so that is something we've been working on about probably 65%, 70% of the states cover under Medicaid. And then all the federal programs, you know, like the VA covers um, cochlear implants, um, the system for uh, military members, um, insurance for military members covers um, for the whole family. Um, if the person meets the candidacy criteria, so you have to be evaluated for that insurance to kick in. Um, and what's really great about it is it covers the care of the cochlear implant all across the, the process, not just the, um, the surgery and the device itself, um, but also the continuing care. Because people go back maybe once a year or every two years to have their device programmed by the same audiologist that evaluated them or any audiologist that's in the, the cochlear implant world. Um, so you go back for that. And for children, we also always have uh, follow-up therapy that um, involves the family and the child so that the child can maximize their listening with the device. Um, and we also encourage adults sometimes, if they've been deafened for quite a long time, they certainly benefit from uh, working with a speech-language pathologist or someone else who's trained in um, therapy post-surgery. Um, um, and, um, you know, even people who um, haven't been deafened that long might find that to be um, beneficial. Um, so that's kind of what the process um, looks like for insurance. Um, sometimes we have problems with an insurer and people will call us and we help them try to negotiate that process. Um, and But usually we're able to get people through and, and are able to get them covered by insurance. And that's actually, that's quite different from what it was years ago. I've, I've been in this field um, of cochlear implantation for quite a long time. And I used to work for one of the, the manufacturers of cochlear implants. And much of my job at that time was getting insurance to cover. 
Um, so that's not such a deal anymore, you know, because mostly they're covered. I mean, there, there might be some misunderstanding about what the device is or some aspect of it, but mostly it's covered. Yeah. And, and let's talk about post implementation. I'm going to call it implementation. Um, I don't know if that's the official term, but post implementation, how, how do you go about regulating or learning how to use the device? Cause as you said, it's not like instantaneous you begin to hear and you resume normal, uh, regular activity. I don't say normal, but regular activities. So what's the process to kind of tune it in for your specific needs post-operation? Um, that's a really good question. And it's important to realize that you hear you, with your brain. Your ears are just the way in. And that's true for you as well. Um, but we really recognize that when somebody's getting a cochlear implant, because in that case, what's happening is your brain is having to learn to decipher the signal, which is a bit different, you know, and initially it might sound mm, kind of off, you know, sometimes people talk about it sounding like Mickey Mouse or um, not having clarity or not sounding good to them. Um, in my case, um, Initially, it, it seemed like it was sort of out of sync, um, but that didn't last very long. That lasted maybe three weeks. And then over time, you get better at deciphering that signal. And, and for a child, it's really, really important that the child's family work with somebody who's specially trained in therapy for um, teaching a child to decipher that sound over time, because you know, you may go in with, with your child to see a therapist once a week for an hour. So really what we're doing with therapy now is teaching the parents on, on how to be their child's first teacher, just like any parent is their child's first teacher. Um, I have a wonderful two-year-old grandchild now, and his parents, my son and his wife, are wonderful at um, teaching um, my grandchild to um, learn language. And we do that naturally as parents. But sometimes parents get a little bit stymied by the fact that their child now has this device that's providing sound to him or her. And they have to really learn what to do. And it's really much the same. It's just doing it more. I call it good parenting times 10. And that's what a therapist really ingrains in the parents is how important it is to talk a lot and to use rich language, to read, to identify objects in the world around them and to be doing that even more than you normally do it with a child. So that's really what it involves with a child. And usually, you know, within, oh, it, it varies by child. I'm not gonna give you a time frame, um, but it, it, takes, it takes time for the child to learn to decipher that sound. Now for an adult, varies tremendously. It varies according to, you know, how long you've been deaf. Um, in my case, I was deaf for quite a short time. And so my, um, my ability to learn to use that signal effectively was relatively short. Um, but 
but it really varies by individual. There's no one way that people respond to that signal. Um, some people use apps and exercises um, listening. Some people use uh, books on tape, for example, to practice. And initially they'll have the book in front of them and they'll listen. Um, and then things start to fall into place. Um, and there's exercises that people might use. Um, there's um, sometimes we tell people to watch TV and turn the captions off then turn the captions on you know just so it's it's a it's a practice process um learning to listen in noise is another aspect of practice you know so you're probably going to start out initially listening in quiet and then over time you might add a little noise then and more noise and the other thing that people want a lot of people want to learn to appreciate music again so that's a really interesting aspect of cochlear implants. When I was implanted um, 30 years ago, they told me I wouldn't, I wouldn't like music. And so I thought, ah, oh, well, what I really want is speech. And a really, really smart audiologist sat me down at, um, he actually worked with a lot of musicians. He was from New Orleans. And he had um, one of those pianos that had different um, instruments, you know, so he could push a button, have a different instrument come on. And he said, so you're not listening to music? I said, no. And he said, well, let's just try. And so he started pushing buttons for different instruments. And guess what? I got them all right. So that was my first recognition that, hey, maybe I could learn to appreciate music. And that's really been an interesting change because we're recognizing that some people really like music. Now, is it the same as if they had typical hearing? No. Um, and how about kids? Kids don't know what it sounds like anyway. They, all they know is their sound from their cochlear implant. And, and children taught us a lot about music and cochlear implants because you know, you don't tell a kid what they're supposed to like or not like, and children wanted to do it. And you can see teens with cochlear implants with earmuffs on, you know, and they're enjoying, they're playing instruments, they're singing, they're dancing. So this is a wonderful thing that's happened maybe in the past 10 or 12 years that we've realized that it's not the same, but you still can enjoy it. Yeah. Well, Donna, uh, it's so amazing the technology that exists and, and it seems like there continue to be advancements. Really appreciate you joining us on the program. We look forward to having you back again very soon. Sure, very happy to do that. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line and don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance tech, so much more all in one place, one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Bulls. Want to search our archives to check out our latest content? Then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another great edition of BRNAM. We'll have some very special guests. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic 
on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts, so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.